Hello, it's me, Sarah Russell, and this is your sixth episode of the Women's Domain podcast. This time, we're speaking to Kelly Slesser. Kelly is an e-commerce coach, a digital marketing expert, and the CEO and founder of ShopU, which is an AI-powered personalized shopping experience. In this episode, we dive into the power of responsibility, how businesses and leaders in e-commerce really do have the power to make things better for women, for women of color, and for all underrepresented groups. So grab a cuppa, glass of wine, or, you know, maybe whiz up a smoothie. I really don't care what you drink. Just listen and enjoy. Kelly, welcome to the Women's Domain podcast. Um, Episode number six, which is... um, I don't know. I think I need an award or something. This is great. <laughs> That's exciting. But I'm so grateful for you to uh, give up your time. Particularly, is it what time is it where you are? It's quarter past seven, so quarter- nearly dinner time. Nearly dinner time. Well, we'll get you to your dinner, especially as it you know you've been to the gym and stuff. Like a putting me to shame, but that's fine. Um, but thank you very much for joining me. Um, we sort of got in touch, I guess, a week or so ago um, when I mentioned the Women's Domain White Paper in the Amazing Women in E-Commerce community. And I was just um, so thrilled to have so many people reach out, uh, women like yourself, who um, are really being very vocal about the issues of diversity and inclusion within, well, across the world and society. But um, as key figures within e-commerce. Um, so I really wanted to talk to you particularly about what we've discussed, which is the power of responsibility. Um, but before we go into that, I'd love um, our listeners just to hear a little bit from you about your background and how you got to the point you are now in your career. Yeah, sure. So I'm obviously a Brit living in Australia um I've been here now for 20 so I keep saying 20 years but it's a lot longer um but I'm going to stick at 20 years I started um I started life in the UK I grew up in the UK I went to uni there I left there and, and started my career at British Telecom as a graduate um worked on a project called Sainsbury's the store of the future which uh, where I was where I fell in love with retail and all things technology. Um, I then came to Australia as a kind of on a holiday, as everyone does, and, and ended up staying. Um, and since I've been here, I've really worked in technology and retail. I ran an agency. Um, I've had some random jobs. Once worked at births, deaths and marriages as a marketing director which was really weird. That was a, that was the first gig I had when I got here. But I ran, ran an agency for a number of years. I worked with um, Westfield, the shopping centre here, the shopping centre owners. I was with them for, for a number of years working with their retailers and helping them build out their retail technology. So everything from e-commerce, mobile sites, to social media, to marketing campaigns, right through to building loyalty apps for some of the big retailers here. So I've, I've been in tech and retail for most of my life. And then about five five or six years ago, 
I went off on a journey and built out my own tech platform, which is an artificially intelligent personalization engine. Lots of words in there. But essentially what it did was match women with clothes based on their style and preferences. And I'm actually in the process of selling that technology at the moment. So that's interesting to me because how did you, have you always been technically minded? So for me, the idea of creating an app or an AI platform, it's like, it's so intimidating and beyond my reach. Like there's no chance I'd even consider it. So you know, were you a computer science student? Like, how did you get to, the, you know, was it just working mm. on the job, you know? I've actually got a little a little photo right by my computer of my dad. I don't know if you can see that. Is that by his computer? <laughs> yeah. So he's got like a, he, he was a, um, a computer engineer, essentially. So <laughs> as a child, my dad was a single parent. So as a child growing up, I used to sit with him and he taught himself how to code. So I used to sit and watch the little green dot, the MS-DOS thing going along the screen. And I was fascinated by it. I was absolutely fascinated. And um, I remember when I kind of got my first job in technology and working on the Sainsbury's project, I remember this big aha moment. And even now I kind of look back and, and, and have that feeling of, I remember thinking there were people at the end of that piece of technology and how could we impact them in, in such a kind of virtual cold you know, uninspiring place. How could we connect with them and, and communicate with people? And and that's pretty much been my career. The whole, you know, when I look back over my career, that's that's where it started. And everything I've done since then has been around really looking at how we connect technology with people. And so I don't really think about it as tech. I think about that piece of it, and then I work backwards towards tech. The tech's the simple piece, actually. Well, okay, I'll believe you. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I think that's definitely what I got when I, you know, obviously did my research in a non-stalky way, obviously. But it was like you <laughs> work, um, you work with, you know, you're an e-commerce coach. You're working with retailers with brands, but you are all about the customer and what how the brands can reach that customer. Which I guess um, customers, people buying from these brands, they don't all look the same. So no. is that something that you've always been conscious of and have always wanted to drive that kind of DEI, what's the word, vision through that tech? Or is it something that as you've just grown in your career, you've realized, hang on, we're not, we're not speaking to so many people in this world, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um it's it's growing up in a predominantly white area. Um, with a black father in a, sing- a single parent um, and going to a predominantly white school as well, I was, I was the, I stood out. I really, I, I stood out. I was the outcast. I was the one that wasn't. And then I was a geek, a, a bit of a geek as well, you know, a tech geek. So I stood out in a number of ways. And I think growing up, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I look back now, I realized that I was constantly trying to look for things, especially in technology that reflected who I was. And, uh, you know, and it, it was even in, in fashion, which is why I built out Shop You, you know, I was looking for technology that, you know, because we're not all size eight white, you know, models. 
with blonde hair. And and when when I first kind of started building out the technology, it was how do I reflect, you know, real people and how do I reflect the diverse culture and society in which we live in and and make it personal to you. So I think I've always been very conscious of it. I think as I get older, I'm becoming a lot more deliberate about it. Is that because you've because you have built a successful career? And now I guess you're in a position of responsibility and some power as well that you feel confident to do that. Because I know that some people always, you know, they don't feel like they can use their voice in the way in which they'd like to. Yeah, yeah, I think it's that. I don't know if I say successful career, but anyway, I'll take that. I'll take that. I think um, it is that. But it's also it's also the fact that. You know, I worked with a lot of shopping centres. I worked with a lot of um, big corporates, essentially. I worked with a lot of big corporates with boards that look the same. So I spent a lot of time presenting to, you know, dealing with trying to convince this board level uh, board people who have billions of dollars under asset that they should invest in a particular strategy or work on a particular technology. And I really struggled with with that because a lot of them didn't get me in the room. Um, A lot of them didn't get the message I was trying to convey. And a lot of them just didn't understand the place that I was coming from. And, you know, and the other people in their organization, not just me, but other people that were underrepresented in their organization, whether that be women, whether that be indigenous, whether that be, you know, disability, whatever it might be, it just, it, it wasn't the the viewpoints were not at the table like not everyone and I I think that I found that really challenging um and I think as a result of that I've become a lot more passionate about making sure that these companies have diverse views at the table because otherwise we're going to keep churning out the same stuff over and over again 100 percent and it's almost like, from my point of view, what, you know, chicken and egg, what comes first? Is it people like you, like me, who are getting louder and saying, think about it, think about it? Or is it, do mm. do we need people that look like us on these boards? And then then it will obviously naturally happen. But it feels like, what can we, what can we achieve first? Yeah, it's a, re- it's a really tough one, right? Because you, you can shout as loud as you want. But I think if you don't have people in positions that reflect the people that are your customers and the people in your organization if you don't have those positions in in you know at the top level then I think it's hard to bring people on that journey you're just shouting basically because people need to see that reflection of themselves and they need to have someone to aspire to that that shares some of their views or some of their ways or some of their culture or whatever it might be um I, I'm really passionate that, you know, in order to create sustainable change, you actually need to think about exactly what you said from a long term perspective. So, yes, right now we might just be shouting from the bottom and we might be, you know, delivering papers and, and white papers and things like that. But we've got to be looking at in five years time, what can we be doing that is going to make sure there is a greater reflection of me and you and other people in those organizations that we're talking about and I think a lot of initiatives at the moment around 
um, diversity and inclusivity are very much tick boxes, which is what I loved about what you're doing is that, you know, when you said you were going to write this paper, it was a one-off thing and it has extended beyond that because you know that in order to create sustainable change, it has to, you know, you have to keep going. You can't just do the one thing and then put that out to the world and then hope that makes a change. So for me, it's about, um, yeah, it's about creating that ongoing, sustainable, lasting change. So it's thinking forward and making sure in those organisations that at a very top level, the people you want to engage with are reflected in that in that kind of top level environment. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that has travelled through this entire campaign is the the importance of representation, because mm. you know, I know it as a manager that you know I can't or I try and I do my best, but you know I have people in my team who don't look like me, who don't come from the same background as me. I don't, I can't share the I can't give them the support necessarily that I would I would love to give them because I I don't come from that world and you know when we're talking about how you started you know and it's great that you had your dad it's great that you were surrounded Mm -hmm. by that and you had that confidence given to you and that kind of there's nothing you can't do Kelly and you know you Mm -hmm. had that behind you but there must have been other girls that potentially looked like you or, or or similar who didn't have your dad and then they never realized that there was tech courses they could do the you know or, or anything or a career anyway you know and, yeah. and if you hadn't have had your dad you wouldn't have seen anyone that looked like you on a no in a company or anything no I still struggle to yeah <laughs> I know I mean yeah. the abundance of um male panels and things like that that happen still but we we won't get into that necessarily, but mm. so I mean, DEI is one of those buzzwords. I think that lots of businesses are like, yeah, we are all about inclusivity and diversity and tick 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 tick, and uh, you know all of this. But from your perspective, then, how do we stop it becoming a tick tick box? If I can speak, it'd be great, wouldn't it? A tick box yeah. exercise. Um, what does true like inclusivity look like for you? So true inclusivity is representation at all levels. And I think that's the thing. Not, you know, I I look at some websites recently, some retail websites where they have a picture of a black person on their website. There is no representation through their organization of black people, you know, and I just think we've got to we've got to move away from that and it I I actually struggle with it I'll be really honest with you Sarah I struggle with the calling it out because I don't think that's the way to deal with it because I actually think when you call it out what you end up doing is shaming people and when you shame someone they don't want to come on a journey with you it's like if I if I scream and shout at my kids and and tell them you know the reason they didn't get their you know get the good results on their math test this week and we won't go into that is because you know they're this and they're that and then that that doesn't give them the motivation to change but if I say look you can do this and actually I'm going to help you with it and I understand your reasonings for not being there yet this is a difficult challenge that we're all facing but but how can I help you I'm going to get a much better response so I I'm challenged by it I'm really really challenged by it because sometimes you look at things like that and you see 
you know, a board of the same people and you see that their board report says we are inclusive and diverse. And then you see that their website has a couple of images on that are photo stock images that they've taken from somewhere else that are not representation. And you just want to scream, this is not okay. But you know that in order to, to bring them along on the journey, you've, you've got to have conversations with them that are uncomfortable, but in a, in a positive way. It's definitely a conversation and I, I'm 100% agreeing with you about it having to be positive because the one thing we said about the women's domain is that this wasn't about shaming, this wasn't about pointing fingers, this wasn't a man-hating exercise. I hate that anyway, when people sort of dismiss your campaign, it's like, oh, what about the men? It's like, listen, I love yeah. them, I'm raising two of them, I want them to Me live too. in a world where we are we are all thriving, you know, all of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was, it would have been very easy for us to pick out conversations we've had behind closed doors or comments we've heard behind closed doors by, by people within the industry. But that wasn't what this was about. This was about us going, Hey, let's, let's start making a positive change and, and understanding mm. that we didn't have the answers as individuals or five, eight as a business, you know, we had a lot to learn as well. But it's coming from that point of going, you kind of have to humble yourself and go, all right, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be taught some lessons here and I'm going to have to take them on the chin, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and as much as, you know, I've, I've touched a lot of diversity areas in, in terms of my own life, you know, from a female in technology, a disabled father, you know, there's there's a lot of areas that I kind of look at and go, well, you know, I tick a couple of boxes. <laughs> um, there's still there's still some areas that I I do not have knowledge about, you know, and that if I'm going to truly hold a flag up and say that I am representing and that I am challenging and that I am trying to make a positive dif- difference for diversity and inclusivity, then I have to be un- be in those areas that I'm uncomfortable with as well that I don't know enough about I'm uncomfortable with because I don't know enough about them but I have to embrace them because I can't just look at female I can't just look at black I can't just look at disability I have to be inclusive to all because that's what I'm talking about absolutely nail on the head because I think um you know we when we launched the women's domain, we were really sure that, you know, we wanted to talk about motherhood penalty, access to STEM, um, imposter syndrome, and the the kind of nuanced experience that women of colour experience as well. Um, mm. But it's taken all this time for, I think, and I don't know, you know, I think it was unconscious for me to feel brave enough to ask because, and I, and I don't, and you know, that's definitely, I'll hold my hands up and say that's something that I've got I've got to work on because you know why but you know it's like I don't I know that it's when you when you come from a position of privilege I think as well it's like well hang on it's up Mm. it's up to me to do the work not for me to you know ask everyone else to to tell me what to do but actually part of doing the work is listening part of doing the work is learning from those who have those lived experiences and Mm. I mean I I come from um I'm half Iranian so my father was born in Iran now you know so before I got married I had a very Persian surname and I was always you know but I I got the whole oh aren't you exotic or 
um, you know, brown hair, brown eyes, or you could be Italian, you could be Spanish, you're so Mediterranean looking, and oh, and I got you know what I consider to be the the good stuff, right? And it's not until yeah. I would say within the last five years, I've really heard from my relatives in Iran who live there, who live here, who live in America, the real um trauma that they experience mm. as being mm. obviously Iranian or you know, very Iranian. Yeah things living in that Iranian culture so it's like I, I've 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 been I've been touched I'm touched I'm I'm I've been touched by it by that kind of yeah and and trauma but I've never had to live it you know but it's it's yeah but the fact that I've been almost so untouched by it for so long proves that it's up to people like me to go all right hang on <laughs> I need to ask some questions yeah, here. yeah absolutely and I, I love that. And I love when you approached me about this and you were so open about the fact that you needed to know more about this and it wasn't just about that. Um, I love that. I think one of the big challenges as well is just, just going back to what you were saying about uh, that fascinates me in, in diversity and inclusivity is, is the unconscious unbias. And I think um, I, I find it, We've, we've all got neural pathways that have built up in our brain over years and years and years. And someone may have said something to us when we were a kid about a particular race, a particular background or, you know, and we've been surrounded by certain people. And so therefore, you know, we tend to connect more to those people, which is why we end up with boards that look like this. Um, and I, I think one, one of the things that I'm constantly trying to challenge myself on and it's exactly what you've just said and what you're doing is to challenge your own self on your unconscious bias you know and to to ask yourself you know I, I've been drawn to that but you know if I if I take a step back and think about the whole piece why am I not being drawn to that or why am I not you know why am I not in being drawn to that person or why am I not asking that question? And it does. It comes down to the fact that we're uncomfortable, mm. that we just we just don't know how to. And I think, you know, as leaders, you know, it sounds really cliche. I feel like I'm kind of on the big stage. We need to get uncomfortable with being, we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know, but it, it's true. It's true. Like I, I did a remote community um, so I went into remote community in uh, this time last year. Last year, I put on my vision board that I wanted to go to remote community and teach um, Aboriginals e-commerce skills. So I'm I'm big on educating because I believe if I can educate, you know, um, underrepresented groups and we have more underrepresented groups in the industry, then that will funnel through. And over time, that becomes sustainable. That becomes a change. Um, anyway, so last year I went into remote community. I, I had this vision of doing a, a workshop for a few days with, um, with remote community. And um, I got on a call with someone who was running an innovation hub out in Broome. I don't know if you know Australia, but Broome's like, you know, out, 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 out. It's like five hours flight from me or something. I'm on the other side of Australia. Um, and it's dirt, it's like dust road. It's complete dust road. So we, we came up with this concept about running this three-day workshop. And we literally, a bit like me and you last week, we had a conversation. And two weeks later, I was flying out to Broome to do this workshop. And I spent two days with um, 
small Aboriginal businesses, Aboriginal found, Aboriginal owned businesses from fishing gear to, um, you know, one had a, was a cartoonist, an amazing cartoonist. One was um, doing um, horse activity, just, just really diverse businesses. But what I loved was just being in a room with this amazing culture and hearing their stories and their background. And I had to ask some uncomfortable questions. I had to ask things like, can I say Aboriginal? Do I say Indigenous? When I do an acknowledgement of country, how do I say that? And it was it was awkward, you know, and I, I felt really uncomfortable asking it because I wasn't quite sure what was the right way to describe someone. You know, it's like, are they coloured? Are they black? Are they this? Are they that? But but you have to you have to ask those questions because otherwise I could I could continue to make mistakes or have a bias because I haven't I haven't given someone the opportunity to tell me the answer. I think yeah, absolutely. I think if it's coming from a place of authenticity, of kindness, you know, where mm. it, you know, that whole like if look, she means well kind of thing. But but it but it's more than that. It's if, if you're asking those questions which are uncomfortable, which make you uncomfortable, which you're not sure are the right questions, you know, come at it from a place of, I don't know, you know, yeah. I, I'm trying. And if you tell me once, I'll remember, you know, like I, mm. I will do what I can. I mean, I remember because I did, I lived, um, I did like a working holiday in Australia uh, in my 20s and uh, I ended up getting a kind of, rubbish commission only door-to-door sales job right so nice. go on road trips and we ended up somewhere called Dobbo have you heard know it well yeah Dobbo um, Zoo best place in Australia but it was the part we were in you know you'd go from Sydney where my aunt you know lives near Gosford and things like that and these beautiful houses and you know, everyone raves about all oh, the standard of living in Australia is so much better than what you'd get in the UK and this, that and the other. And you just travel down this road and then suddenly it's houses in disrepair. It's, you know, it's these different world. Yeah. The poverty line in, in Australia at that time, what I felt was it was, you know, how many children and then and Aboriginal. It was mainly Aboriginal families that were living mm. but below the poverty line. But actually, mm. it was just this kind of vast divide. And realizing that you can you cannot see so much if you don't open your eyes or if you don't travel outside your front your front lawn. It's just disturbing. Yep. Mm, it's so true. It's so true. But we'll keep trying. We'll keep trying. So I think when it comes to DEI and this white paper, so we're going to deliver this white paper on International Women's Day, and it's not going to have all the answers, but it's going to it's going to hopefully start some conversations. But what I am really keen on doing is going, all right, businesses, all right, big leaders in e-commerce, if you really care, if you really want to try and help um, and make a positive impact on, let's and focusing on the representation of women in particular, these are mm-hmm. just three things you could do tomorrow. You know, like three things. You don't have to invest hundreds and thousands of pounds or anything like that. Three things putting you on the spot a little bit what would you you know what easy wins do you think businesses could do tomorrow oh you are putting me on the spot um education so I think go out and have conversations invite groups into the organization whether that be groups of women whatever it might be invite groups into the organization to have open dialogue 
to work out what they need to be doing better, what they need to be doing more of. Um, I, I'm not a fan of quotas. Um, you know, I, I really struggle with quotas and I, I, I struggle with it in, for a number of reasons. Like you, I'm, I'm the mother of two boys. Um, one of the things that worries me is they're going to miss out on opportunities as they get older because they're not part of a quota. And I also don't want to be part of a quota. I want to be hired, promoted, and, you know, on based on my skill set. So, uh, but I do think we need to swing the other way in order to create some balance. So I think, I think the second thing they can do is look at their hiring policies and look at the bias that might be in those hiring policies. Now, that isn't a big job. You know, that isn't a $100,000 investment or whatever it is. That's basically sitting down with your HR team and, and saying, you know, where do we think we might have some uncomfortable biases in our hiring process and how can we take them out? I know someone here, a good friend of mine, who did a blind hiring process. Um, they took the names out so they couldn't tell whether they were from a certain background or, you know, surname or anything like that. And they did a completely blind hiring process, which was fascinating and got some amazing results. So I think looking at their their their, their human resource kind of process, hiring process and taking bias out of it. And then I think they've got to actively seek out people that represent the community in which they operate in and the customers they are trying to serve and the employees they have in their team. They have to seek people out to put in leadership positions, whether that's promotion from within or going outside. And that isn't an easy, quick fix but it's something they have to do and they have to be conscious of doing. Absolutely. No, I think that's, I mean, I did put you on the spot, but I think you nailed it. <laughs> I think it was a huge spot. I'm like, oh my goodness. I wasn't, I wasn't prepped for that one. Just going to quote Kelly on the uh, white paper is <laughs> what you need to do. No, I think um, absolutely. And before we say goodbye, I just, I mean, I look at someone like you and I look at, and I, and I, you know, like I said, I've, just meeting you the other like last week, I think it was, and it's, and I think I I am um, sorry I get my words out. I suffer a lot with um, imposter syndrome, so when I look at other women within the industry that I deem to be success, and you know they they they've nailed it, you know they they've got the motivation, the discipline, etc. etc. Et and it almost feels like out of reach. And I and I think like what I'd love to hear from you is, you know. Talking to women like me or or women who are just starting their career, what advice would you give them when they're entering a career into e-commerce? Um, you know, in a very general way, in a very, um, you know, how to behave yeah. and how to how to um, carry yourself, I guess. So, firstly, I will say that um, you know when you take off all the armor and everything else we're all we're, we all feel the same you know we are all in there are moments I have where I feel like a complete imposter there are moments I've had where I don't feel good enough there are moments where I feel vulnerable and there are moments where I'm just I just don't feel like I, I actually deserve to be at the table that that happens still you know um, however I think the, the way in which I combat that is I seek out 
I really do seek out diverse minds. So I really work hard on the education piece. And I think, you know, for anyone coming into e-commerce, just know your shit, like know your stuff. Like just, and if you don't, be okay with saying you don't and go and find someone that does. So I'm part of the geekiest group, and they won't mind me saying this, it's like the SEO gurus group. They're on the Slack channel and we, we message each other every day, all the time. And they are a real bunch of nerds and I adore them. They're so smart, way smarter than I could ever be. But, but you know, actually having being part of that group makes me feel smart. And it means that I can really have I can have really, really smart conversations about stuff that maybe six months ago I wasn't across. You know, um, when I set up my AI platform, I went to EY and I found the head of data science for EY, who was a very slickly dressed guy um, and an amazing, like literally a brainiac. And I spent some time with him and I downloaded his brain as much as I possibly could. I asked him questions. You know. Um, Shopify, like I've been working a lot on Shopify and I've been talking a lot to them and to various platform technology companies. So for me, if if you if this is the path you're going to choose, you're never going to have all the answers in e-commerce because A, there's so much to it and B, it's changing so quickly. So you have to have the mindset of actually really being diverse and inclusive and going out and seeking out those people and surrounding yourself with a lot of people that are really, really smart that you can that you know you can pick up the phone. I've got, you know, people at a very, very senior level that I know I can pick up the phone to and go, I don't know the answer to this. And I'm okay with that. I don't need to pretend to know all the answers to everything because, you know, um, I think that's when that's when you come a cropper, when you're sat in a meeting at a board level, and I've done it before, and someone asks you a question, you don't know the answer, you try and fluff your way through it, and you instantly lose all your credibility. And then all of a sudden, you're back in the corner of the room, and you're that person, and they're back talking to their peers in the room. And I think sometimes we've got to get better at just saying, don't know that answer, but let me get back to you. I know someone that does, because there's power in just knowing someone that does. It doesn't, you don't necessarily need to know all the answers. That was a little bit of a rant. I'm not even sure if I answered your question. Did I? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and you also mentioned, like you sort of mentioned earlier in the conversation about having a vision board. Now that's something mm. that I've really been trying, you know, you know, it feels very un-British to me to have this kind of vision, vision board, manifestation, kind of affirmation, kind of stuff going on and it but it's something that I'm I'm totally you know wanting to experience and and move towards and it's something that I'm working on but it's how and I guess for me it's like what you've just said is like that idea of being be focused be determined mm. be brave um yeah. know what your goals are yeah yeah totally um, my brother always laughs at me about my vision boards. He always takes the mick out of me. He's like, oh, for goodness sake, here she goes again with her goals and her manifestation and her vision boards. But you know what? It works for me. Like I, I've got, I, I use Canva for my vision board each year. I put the pictures on of where I want to travel to and what I want to do. And I've got all of, you know, the kids stuff that I want to do with the kids and work stuff. And I put it up on a, on a chart and I see it every day. And so it brings me back to that central point of 
this is this is why this is what I set myself out to achieve at the beginning of this year. And every day I'm looking at it going, I do it every day, but I do it a lot. I look at it going, am I ticking that box? And if I think about my, you know, um D and I, beginning of last year when I put I put that on my vision board, and then I also put the um red dirt road um for broom. And I put a book. I didn't get to the book, though. I didn't. But that's okay. That's coming. Um, and I put some travel stuff on there. And I, I look at it and I think I ticked. I did most of it. I, did, I achieved most of it. And it, I think it's very easy for us to go, um, I've got these big goals. I'm not achieving them. And then you look back about, uh, you look over, like for you, for instance, you, you had this big goal doing this white paper. And you know, over the year, you've done all these elements to get to where you are now. And then the, the culmination of that will be the white paper. But that's not the vision, is it? No. no. It's just helping you move towards the vision you are going to achieve, which you will. But it, it's, I think, for, we, I think for me, I have to have that constant reminder that I'm moving towards something. I think it helps you to recognise or take inspired action. So mm. never about things falling into your lap, just going, oh, wow, you know, because we know that that ain't going to happen. <laughs> we don't we don't look the part for that. But if you know what your goal is, then you start making conscious decisions that kind of lead you closer to it each day, whether it's having a smoothie instead of, you know, a McDonald's breakfast or, you know, totally. or, or whatever. Totally. And it also makes it so much easier to say no, which is the, which I think is one of the most empowering things you can do. Like I think about my three things. So my three things are, um, you know, uh, educating on retail technology, diversity and inclusivity, and, and we, we foster as well. So, so that's, that's my third thing. Um, and the other day someone approached me and said, can we, they're, they're retail can we do your course, but we want to do it free of charge. We're a social enterprise and we work with disability. And I was like, this is amazing. That totally fits into my two things that I am totally passionate about, retail and technology and, and diversity and inclusivity. So yes, like, and it just makes it so easy to say yes to the right things. But then on the flip side, I've had someone approach me and ask me a question about doing something. Going up, It was actually going and speaking on International Women's Day to a technology company and I said no because it's not my audience and it doesn't fit into these three things that I think you know are a part of my purpose and all of that jazz all of that stuff amazing yeah that's really inspiring thank you Kelly I'm so pleased that we got to chat and um and that you gave up your evening to speak to me um I mean this isn't the end for the women's domain at all like you know this is, no. this is only the beginning and I would love to have you back in lots of different capacities um you know maybe we can bring the women's domain to Australia or if you're ever in the UK on stuff but um yeah thank you so much it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I can't wait for people to hear the podcast that's been awesome and honestly what you're doing is amazing and you're a total inspiration and I can't wait to see the white paper but I'm going to rename it the black paper just for just for fits and giggles <laughs> oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that yeah <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> there you go. I'll leave you on an awkward note <laughs>
<laughs> I love it. I love a bit of awkwardness. That's fine. All right. Thanks so much, Kelly. Take care. Um, Sarah, thanks a lot. You too. Bye. Educate yourself. If you want to see positive change in this world, maybe even be that positive change, then perhaps we all need to start with that understanding that we're never going to know everything. And we're always going to need to stay humble and, and keep learning. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me on the Women's Domain podcast. It was a real pleasure to chat to you. And thank you as well to the entire 5874 Commerce team and to our sponsors, Big Commerce as well. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the love by liking or rating this podcast to make sure you never miss out on an episode. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, bye-bye. Mm.